0: questions i'm sure there aren't any but questions on this morning don jake
1: can i believe can i believe and disobey at the same time
0: no I, let me let me unpack that belief and unbelief is not Binary. I believe or I don't believe. In every action, in everything I do, I'm either acting by faith or in unbelief. I cannot, in a given act, be acting in faith and be walking in the flesh. This is, this is the binary Paul puts forward in Galatians. You are either walking in the Spirit, not fulfilling the desires of the flesh, or walking according to the flesh. So in any given action, in every given choice, in every given circumstance, I'm either acting in faith or in unbelief. So I'd view it more like today I have 10,000 opportunities to act in faith or in unbelief. So that it's less, did I act in faith today? Well, hopefully at times, hopefully at more times than I did last month, but there can still be moments of unbelief, moments of, of disobedience fact sprinkled in no you don't buy even,
1: even though in the heart of my heart I, I love the Lord and I'm doing my best to obey him no, you're not. when I make those mistakes and you know we all do um, those moments are moments of unbelief then
0: mm-hmm. no I mean let me well, let's, thanks let's, a lot. Let's, no, let's no absolutely <laughs> let's no let's unpack no let's take an example I I am short with my wife I speak in anger to my wife In that moment, am I believing that I should be a husband like Christ who died for his bride? Or am I believing that I'm a master who should be served? What what am I believing? You know what I'm believing because you know what I'm acting like. And the, the insanity of, no, I truly believe I'm to sacrificially love and wash my wife with the water of the word as Christ gave himself up to the church. Serve me. How dare you thwart my will? Right. That those are incommensurate. It's clear what I'm believing in that moment, which was why, and think about this, which is why 1 John 1, 9 talks about confession. The movement is we drift, we believe a lie, we act on that lie. The spirit convicts us. Repentance is the turning of the will from believing that lie to the truth. And confession, um, is, it was interesting. Confession is Greek and English etymology are identical. To say the same with, con, with, confess the greeks clear homo logos homo Lagamon, to say the same and the, the the logic is when i sinned i did not agree with god god said that's bad i said that's good god said no i said yes god said that's not what marriage is for that's not what you're supposed to do and i said well yes it is right and now having repented i'm agreeing again with god god you said that was wrong i say that's wrong you said i shouldn't have done that i agree i shouldn't have done that you said that was wicked i say that was wicked I'm agreeing with God. That's what confession means. Will you say what God says about it? And while you were sinning, you weren't saying what God was saying about it. Right? Does that? Yes. Okay. Yes, that me, answers okay. The question, but then okay, I'd, Lee. I'd
1: like to take it one step further. No, no. no.
0: Um, well, uh, we've got a, you still got the mic? Yeah. The mic. Yeah. This is good stuff. The
1: there are gray areas mm-hmm. um, where Christians might disagree on yes. what is sin and what is not. Yes. And, and where I am walking outside of the... the the will of God. Um, I guess I'm not even sure how to example. put the put the question. Um.
2: Like, like tobacco?
0: Alcohol, tobacco, tobacco. sure. Sure, sure. so, so Paul that. recognizes there are categories. Romans 14 is the classic one. Some people observe a day, some don't. Some people drink alcohol, some don't. Some people eat meat, some don't. And Paul's whole point is do it in faith, but if you do it doubting, you're sinning. Which is, which is weird. You can do something that the act itself is in keeping with God's will. You can do it not in faith and sin. And, and the rationale makes sense, right? If my kid if, I, if my kid thinks I've told him not to go further than the tree on the yard, you know you, sometimes you tell the kid you can play outside, but don't go past this. And he misunderstands me. and I pointed to the tree you know, a hundred yards away, and he thought I was pointing to the tree 20 yards away. and he thinks, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to cross that line. Technically, he hasn't broken my will yet. But if I could read his heart, or if he were to come back and say to me, Dad, I'm he's been disobedient, right? Because he knew, or he thought he knew. I didn't want him to do that, and he did it anyway. So that's the rationale if we don't act in faith. If you, if you were to have a sip of a glass of wine or a cigar after dinner or something, you're like, maybe this is wrong. I don't care. Yeah, that's an unbelieving heart. Because um, what the heart's saying is, this might displease my God and Father, but I don't care that that is not pleasing to God. Um, so yeah, differing consciences differ, but where we do what we know is wrong or we believe to be wrong, we, we are being unfaithful. And so, so go, go to first John. First John's great for this. The notion of, um, is it faith or is it not faith? Our day by day lives are constantly, the, the biblical word is Walk. Because in the ancient world, you walked around. So this the concept for walk is conducting yourself throughout the day, how you live your life. And so 1 John 1, um, using John loves his categories. He loves his antitheses. And he's picking up precisely on the language we used this morning. In 1.5, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no, is no darkness at all. If we say... We have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. So if we're practicing, we're walking throughout the day in darkness. Now I'd say that constantly throughout the day, I'm taking a step into darkness. The spirit showing it to me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting back into the light. Like I'm sure we're straying in the darkness a little bit constantly. But if you're just walking in darkness, if you're, if you're embracing sin and you say you have fellowship with God, you're lying. Right. Then he goes on. Um, but verse seven, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all sins, which is why our attempt to be faithful is our individual walking in the light is the prerequisite for our mutual fellowship as believers, which is why, to plug in church discipline, why when somebody starts walking in the darkness long enough and consistently enough, we, we can't have fellowship. He, he puts there, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, Two things, we have fellowship with one another, our fellowship is conditioned upon a mutual attempt to walk in light, and the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sins. Then he goes to the next opposite extreme, if we say we have no sin, I, I stopped sinning, the Lord finished sanctifying me sometime last week. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, so then what? How do we live? If we can't stop sinning, ultimately, verse nine, this is the Christian life, If we confess our sins, if we say the same thing about our sins that he says, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christians make a pattern and a habit continually, this present active indicative verb, of when God shows us our sins, I'm sorry. And turning and, and agreeing with him and not trying to excuse it. that That's the Christian life. And in that way, we keep getting back into the light and getting back into light. We have fellowship and and God forgives us. That's, that's the Christian life. But yeah, in those moments of walking in darkness, we're not believing the truth. The spirit isn't leading us into darkness. We're not walking in the spirit. We're not trusting what he says. Now, what further complicates it is it's not as simple as having one motive for everything we do. So this is where it gets tricky, right? Because like I've said this before, preparing for preaching a message on Sunday morning. I hope and trust and believe that part of my motivation is the desire to serve God, to serve you, to please him. And yet I know there's some part of me that cares what you think. And did you think it was a good sermon? And that part of me needs to die. So even in my motives for what I do, I recognize good things and bad things. I mean, so um, what's his name? Um, John Bunyan, Pilgrim's Progress. Quote, there is enough sin in my best prayer to damn the world. And that's what he's getting at, is is our motives are rarely going to ever be entirely pure. There's going to be vestiges of sinful, but you can chase your tail like that forever. The point is recognizing even as you do things for God's glory, even as you do things for your neighbor's good, our hearts are deceitful and wicked and who can know them and so we but the good news is if we just confess that instead of chasing my tail like how much did I do it to please me like Lord I recognize part of me does this for praise some of the part of me does this for a, 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 you know approval kill that part of me Lord and, and and I'm thankful that there's part of me that does it for good reasons you move on and the blood of Jesus cleanses us and and you don't chase your tail forever but lest I think my motives were pure in the preparation of this message no they weren't um <laughs> And until until I'm glorified, there's parts that need to be refined and burned off, right? You want to go further than that or? Okay. Okay. But yeah, first, yeah, Lee. Well, I have a
3: friend and her husband has been in involved in sexual sin pretty much their whole marriage, yeah. many, many years. And I said to her, friend, you know, he's probably not even a Christian, and she says, oh, but he says he is, and he blah, 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 and I say, well, how can you tell if he's acting like that consistently, never being sorry, never wanting to act like he changed, to change, so, am I right?
0: (laughs) No, no, Lee, everything comes down to the details, not details I can't tell you. Let's take, let's, let's, but, but look, let's take, uh, let's take something else like, uh, like alcohol or drugs. Could I picture someone who smokes weed, repents of it, goes a week or two, stumbles, repents of it, and it's constantly this pattern. Conceivably, yeah, I, I I could conceive of that. That's so. If if that's what's going on, what what I'd ultimately say is th- this person should biblically, faithfully, humbly confront her husband, and and this this is what. You, let me okay. So when you've got Jesus teaching, if your brother says seventy times seven, forgive him. So then, what do you do the tenth time? I do think it's valid. Let's let's just say, um, let's just say let's think of something ridiculous Uh, Simeon on the way out of here throws a rock through my car window I'm like whoa and he goes I'm so sorry I was jealous about your working car (laughs) and my not working car and I'm like whoa well then next week I got my car repaired and he does the same thing and I say, well, what's Gibbs? He's like, yeah, yeah just, your car works and mine's transmission. I got mad again. You know, and by the fifth or sixth time, I still need to forgive him, but I think it's valid to follow up his, hey, I I, I repent, I, I'm sorry, with it appears the Lord might be showing a stronghold in your life. What are you planning on doing differently next time? Right? I think it's a valid question. Now you gotta be careful because you can rub someone's face in their sin, but I think a valid question, like are you repentant or are you sorry? I'll do this with my kids sometimes, you know, because you catch them like I'm sorry. Are you sorry? Just get caught. <laughs> you know? Um, and asking, like, look, if the Lord is, if the Lord has revealed a stronghold and some so with your friend, if the Lord has let's best case scenario, this person has an area where they are trapped. They are they're in a snare. I mean, that's the language of 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting his opponents, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having held captive by him to do his will. So I here's an area where you're ensnared, right? Okay. So if the Lord has revealed that, maybe the first time he confessed, he says, Sir, I think it's valid eventually to say, look, this is now the... And again, the details matter. Is he getting a sin every day, every month, every year? I, and what's the nature of the sin? And I don't want to know here in this meeting. But let, let's just say he's confessing, having lustful thoughts and, and looking at stuff he shouldn't look at on the internet or something. Um, and he's doing this. I'm, just, I'm making up details once a month. I'd say I could believe for 29 days you're trying to walk in faith, but I also would believe the Lord seems to have revealed a stronghold and a snare and Jesus talks about hacking off your hand and plucking out your eye in the context of sexual sin. What are you planning on doing more aggressively? What do you plan on doing more involved? And that's where you'll find out if the person's repentant because if they have the spirit in them, they're going to say, yeah, okay, help me come up with a plan. Or they're going to minimize and say, no, no, that's fine. And that's where I think they'll reveal, is this a child of the God or is this a goat? Is whether or not they're willing to take on that next step. Now, maybe they've... Maybe they've come up with a justification and, and lies and explanations for why what they're doing is okay. So without pressing, I mean, we don't, to put it short, we don't excommunicate people until we excommunicate them. So we can't say, you're not a believer. Because maybe they would listen to two or three. Maybe they would listen to the whole body. Maybe, maybe that stronghold is such that it's going to take the whole body appealing to them for them to repent and break free from it. I definitely would agree with you if you said, that, that looks really bad. That that smells like cancer. That smells like death. That that smells like rotting flesh and something is, is urgently wrong. I'd agree with that. Cool? Pristina.
2: Okay, yeah. I wanted to um <clears throat> I was blessed to walk with a situation like that with my cousin and I agree with everything that you're saying and that's exactly what the Lord allowed her to do was to really become, um, first she was angry, of course, after it happened a few times, but as the Lord really worked in her heart, she became basically like, um, you know how you have a person that you um, confess to a yeah. lot? So she, they, their relationship grew in a sense that when he did have, that they talked about it a lot, and they prayed through it and worked through it, and and it, it was it be, it became better. And he stopped. And um, she said to me, actually not too long ago, I'm so glad I stayed mm. because the Lord did uh, work in the marriage and heal the marriage.
0: Yeah, there, there's a there's a something J. Adams calls the doctrine of radical amputation, where Jesus talks about if your hand offends you, cut it off; pluck out your eye. And pastorally, when when I'm trying to help people who are caught. In sin, who are ensnared, I'll work with someone, even through stumbles and snares, as long as they're willing to get up and and get more radical. I mean, because what because ultimately Jesus is saying, and the author of Hebrews in twelve, you, in your fight against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, which is to say, if the plan you came up with didn't work, come up with a better and more stringent plan. So I and so pastorally, I might think, given someone's situation, to invent a number scale of one to ten of of in severity. I might think. I'd start at the six, and they want to start at the three, and I can advise them. But fair enough, we'll see. You just understand if three didn't work, we're going to four, and if four doesn't work, we're going to five, and if five doesn't, work, we're going to six. And that's what Jesus is talking about—plucking out your eye, cutting off your hand—is—is is what we're talking about more radical than plucking out your eye? Okay, then I guess it's on the table, you know. So I can't demand we take this course and not that course. What I can say is if the plan you're coming up with right now doesn't work, we need, we need to come up with something better, right? Um, and so that's, that's my sort of line of demarcation with how long will I bear with someone. I bear with people through months and months and months of stumbling and stumbling and stumbling. But, it's, but Jesus' sheep ultimately want to please the master. And, or what comes out eventually is, that's unreasonable, I've tried enough. Okay, it sounds like you wanna make peace with sin. That's, that's the problem you know what I mean and and now well, I think a lot of yeah. that churches don't come alongside right if you know, they were in the church situation mm. I feel like the church did not come alongside to lead him up or something like that Got, yeah yeah no no fair enough dude let a righteous man strike me that's right that's that's what Psalm 140 oh man 141.5 141.5 it is a kindness let him rebuke me it is oil on my beard um, so yeah sure absolutely use, use violent metaphors for rebuke fair enough um, yes Bridget oh sorry Donna then Bridget okay uh, I
2: have two things yes um, you're not saying unbelief is the same as sin
0: I'm saying unbelief is the root cause of all sin there is no sin that doesn't spring from unbelief where else could it come from how could you be believing God and bear of thorns in any given act. I'm saying act by act, choice by choice, decision by decision. You're either acting in faith, which Paul would equate with walking in the spirit, which he says, if you walk in the spirit, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. So work the fruit back to the tree. If the fruit is a thorn or a thistle, that act came out of unbelief. Unbeli- all sin is rooted in unbelief. That's Yes, I'm okay, arguing that.
2: I don't understand that then. Okay. Um, but And then my second one yeah. was... um. Having to do with being black backslidden, yes, and how that because I I was I backslided right. whatever you call it, yeah, for a while, and I mean it's not like I didn't love the Lord, but I knew I was doing bad, but I kept doing it, but I really didn't feel like I lost my salvation or anything.
0: I, I certainly don't think you lost your salvation,
2: but I don't understand how. I mean, I, I get the faith thing mm-hmm. with the the sin. I mean, because we all sin. And I can't, I don't think I sin because I don't believe. It's like you said, when you sin, then you confess it and stuff. But I don't put that together with
0: unbelief. I, I can't quite get that. Sorry if I'm the only one. Sure. Let me pause. Let's use biblical categories. So I am forever thankful to the man who comes to Jesus and says, Lord, I believe, help me unbelief, which is to say you can have present at the same time, the same person. And I would say in different spheres for different areas, belief and unbelief right? You can be believing God on 10 things and these other two things, not believing God on these 10 things. And this gets really practical. Like, like what is my body, his temple that I beat into submission? or is my body something, do I buffet my body or buffet my body? You're like, which, which one do I do? Right? Um, Well, I'll know by what I do. I'll know what I believe by what I do. There's no point saying, I, let me, this, this, this is the simplest thing to say. If somebody is sitting to eating a steak and saying, I'm a vegan, would you believe them? I mean, if someone says, I I don't believe in drinking alcohol while while they're chugging a beer, you wouldn't believe them. Your actions always evidence your belief system. You're always acting on your beliefs. You're always thinking and believing and valuing for everything you do. So Jesus can say, you'll know the tree by its fruit. The fruit always, always, how many times Simeon? Always, 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 always. with uh, youth. When we go through James, I was trying to, um, and and one of the great lies that I think has spread in uh, modern evangelicalism is the is the separation. I believe X Y Z, but I live A B C. No, you don't. You believe A B C. Um, so so, not to press you too hard, Donna. But I, but you you, okay. Jesus says in John fourteen fifteen, quote, "If you love me, you will keep my command." So if somebody is habitually not keeping his commandments, what does Jesus say, do they love him? No. Now, and that's partly from back from last week when I was saying love biblically isn't a a feeling, it produces action, feelings can accompany it, but I think for us mostly we think of love as a feeling and I think it's entirely possible to disobey God and have soft sentimental feelings towards him. But biblically I'd say if you don't obey, you're not loving him. I mean, that's Jesus, right? So take the contrapositive. So think of your little X. This is the most helpful thing in practical math. I had took one math class, and no, the contrapositive is so helpful. So, so if you've got a, a if you've got an if-then statement, the prosis, apodosis. If you've got if then, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So think of that as A B. A leads to B. If A, then B. And what? isn't always, there's only one other thing that's necessarily true. So let me use the example of rain. If it's raining, the grass is wet, right? You seem fair enough. So if it's raining, the grass is wet. Does not necessarily mean if the grass is wet, it's raining. It might be raining, or it might have rained an hour ago, right? So A leads to B does not guarantee B leads to A. Um, It does not, now, now negate it, it doesn't mean not A leads to a lot B. It doesn't mean it's not raining, so the grass is not wet. Same thing. It could have rained yesterday, or the sprinklers could be on. The only necessarily true thing, given an A to B statement, is reverse the order, reverse the polarity. If A, then B, guarantees if not B, then not A. So take that in Jesus' statement. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, means if you don't keep his commandments, you don't love him. Necessarily true. Logically. Absolutely. It's like, like there's no, there's that must be true. That's analogically true. If, if Jesus statement's true, then if you don't keep my commandments, you don't love me is analogically true. And because so many of us imagine equate our love for God with our feelings. I mean, I've, I've talked to people buried in sin who are crying in the worship service, right? And who are just tears are coming out and they, I love God. Not the way he defines love. I mean, I don't want to be a jerk about it, right? So can Christians be backslidden? Absolutely. David, murder man, stole his wife, hid it, and at least nine months went by because the baby was born. So for nine months, David has on his conscience, murder, adultery, and everything else, and all the attendant sins with that. But David has no assurances of his salvation in that time because in Psalm 51, he says, restore to me again the joy of my salvation. So I would say that, Christ, can Christians backslide? Can Christians be wallowed and said, yes, they can. And I would say, such people ought not have assurance of their salvation in that state. So so if I, if I began to have an affair with my wife and Daniel came and rebuked me and two or three came and rebuked me and I stiff-armed them and you guys excommunicated me, in that state, I ought not to have any assurance of my salvation. And if I were to say, I know I'm a Christian, you'd be like, dude, you're not walking like a duck. You're not quacking like a duck. You're not looking like a duck. Could I conceivably, hypothetically, do that for nine months and repent and come back? Sure I could. And could, would we then conclude I'd lost my salvation? No. But I think the Lord, and, I, and I'd show you a dozen passages to this effect. I think the Lord attaches the assurance of our salvation with our walking in faith. Let me, let me show you one place. First, Second Peter 1. Go to Second Peter one. No, Donna, this is a great question. Thank you, and thank you for you. I, 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 thank you for uh, for for putting this on. This is this is fantastic. Second Peter one. So, so to be clear, I I reject the notion that assurance of salvation can be abstracted from faith which so I don't think is a radical statement. But then if I'm defining faith as that which causes action, that which produces fruit, then I would say I'd be proposing abstracting assurance of salvation from fruit. And that's where people might go, I'm not so sure. So let me, let me show you where I try to back this up, because you shouldn't care what I think unless I can show you textually where it comes from. So 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 3, verse chapter 1. 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter 1. Get <laughs> Get it straight. Ah, 2 Peter 1, verse 3. And what he's going to do is, the the flow of the argument is going to be this. Here's what God's done for you. In light of that, make use of it. That'd be my simple summary of what he's about to say. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So God has given you everything you need to fully equip you to, to do what he wants you to do in this life through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is all the stuff God's done for you. For this very reason, make every effort, Greek agonizomai, which we get the word agonize from, Strive for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. Virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self control, self control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Why? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, there's no magic bar set that gives you assurance. What direction are you headed in? What type of fruit are you bearing? Whose image are you being conformed to? The world's or the Lord's? I just love it. Increasing. You're growing. Even just a little. They keep you from being ineffectual or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now look at verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. How do I confirm my calling and election? By increasing in these qualities, that's how. If I want confirmation that I'm elect, that God has called me, how do I find it? Increase, grow. And that's the reason why I'm to make every effort to supplement to my faith, virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. So here's one passage where I see clearly connected assurance with the fruit of the Spirit. And I think I could show you a dozen others. Uh, and the Bible gives a number of bases for assurance. I'm not saying this is the only bases. Uh, so Romans 8, his spirit testifies to the R spirit, that we are sons of God. There is an experiential element to assurance. There's a cognitive level to assurance. The Bible says, if I believe, I'll be saved. And I believe, and therefore I'm saved. And that's great too. But I, I think the great weight of texts, biblically, are... First John two, three, by this, we know that we've come to know him, that we keep his commandments. The one who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. That, that's the passage the Lord used to show me I wasn't saved to get me saved. Cause there's no way around that. Cause John says it positively and negatively. I mean, so again, take, take someone in a backslidden situation. By this, we know that we have come to know him. Something in the past happened. By this, we know something in the past happened that we keep his commandments. The one who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So when I look at that, if I said, here's somebody who habitually consistently and stubbornly does not keep God's commandments, the truth's not in them. Biblically, that's how I should interpret them. And they say, no, no, the truth's in me. I'm like, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Don't call me that. No, I'm quoting the text. That's what the text says. the, the I mean, so on the basis of passages like that, I, I don't see any way around that. Um, it may come to fruition that you're proven to be a discipline or somebody is being disciplined by the Lord and being brought back and, and sure. But while they're in their stubborn, unrepentant state, yeah, there can be no assurance, um, the, the biblically-based assurance. Are yeah. you saying we can lose your salvation? No. Huh? No. I'm saying you can, you, can, you, can, you can forego your right to have assurance. Okay. What I mean is, for somebody who is walking in darkness, is it possible for a child of God to walk in darkness for a time? Yes, it is. While they are walking in darkness, is it possible for them to have assurance, biblical assurance, biblically, are there Bible passages they can point to that make them confident they're a Christian? No, that's what I'm saying. While, and, and, and let me, I want to be very clear. I'm not talking about the sin we struggle with and we see and like. oh, yeah. I'm talking about hardened, walking off into darkness. I know it's wrong and I don't care. I've had somebody look me in the face. I know it's wrong, Pastor Jerry. I don't care I'm doing it. Like, okay, you're talking like an unbeliever right now because you, ta- you've made something else God. You've made something else, God. Uh, in the case I'm thinking it was a relationship. it was it was it was, a, it was a girl who met a boy. I know it's wrong. I don't care. Okay, so you've made this boy God. No, I haven't. I love the Lord. Who are you serving? Who do you treat as more valuable? Whose glory and praise and reward do you seek? The boys, He's God, functionally. He's functionally God. Why? Because you serve him? You order your life around him. okay. I'm not trying to say that to like rub your face and like recognize you've made an idol of this. Anything you and I habitually serve against the living God is an idol. Okay, um, so you're not walking in faith. And while you're hardening your heart, while you say, I know what's wrong, but I don't care. Like if I were you, I'd be very fearful of falling into judgment. Now, if 1 John 2, they departed from us to show they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. When people abandon their professions of faith, when people say, you know what, hooey, and, and go j- join the world, they're not losing their salvation, they're showing they never had it. So, how? What, what, what's the alternative? The alternative would be somebody who is living in complete unbelief. If you connect faith and faithfulness, faith and obedience, as inseparably joined. If somebody has nothing but darkness, they have nothing but unbelief. How could somebody who is living in habitual unbelief have any assurance of their salvation? I don't believe in Jesus, and yet I'm confident he saved me. That that type of cognitive dissonance would be the result. You could, If you could have assurance, apart from how you live your life, you could end up with I totally don't believe in God or the Bible or Jesus. I think they're myths, but I'm totally confident and secure that Jesus is saving me. That's 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 crazy. The only way we can do that is if we divorce, separate what you think from what you do, which is what I did for the first 18 years of my life. I I would have told you I was a Christian and I was living like a slave to sin. I, I was absolutely walking in darkness. And I I remember... I was outside of a keg party at UNH, vomiting, getting ready to go back in to drink some more. And somebody saw a cross my sister had given me around my neck and said, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, just a bad one. And that was like a category I had. I'd created this category, bad Christians, you know? And and I mean, there was no fruit in my life. It wasn't like I was trying to obey God and this was a bad... This was, this was the, the warp and woof of my life. And yet I'd carved out this category of disobedient, walking in darkness believer. And it's precisely reading things like First John that made me go, uh-oh. I mean, so when I read First John, by this we know that we've come to know him, that we keep his commandments. One who says I know him and does not keep his commandments is a lie. That undid me because there's just no way around that. I either have to say that verse can't be true or i have deceived or John or, or Matthew 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, and I will say, depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Or let me, these these warnings, go to, go to Ephesians 5. And I, I get there's a tension. So fair enough that this is something to wrestle with. I get the tension. Um, the tension, put simply, is this. We are saved by grace, through faith, apart from works. And yet the New Testament says again and again, in fact, every one of Paul's major epistles has this warning, Yes, we're saved by grace, apart from works, but people who habitually live like hell go there. Paul insists both of those things are true. And he anticipates people deceiving you about that. So Ephesians 5, okay, Ephesians 5, okay, verse 5, for you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. It's almost as though Paul anticipates teachers will come along and say, no, no, you can be fine. You can be a great, you're just a carnal Christian. Let no one deceive you. Which should warn us, this is something I might get confused on. And fair enough that we struggle with it. But I think Paul's language, I think you either have to ignore what Paul says or go, go. Currently, you can't habitually walk in darkness and think you're a believer. Let me show it to you in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 6. And 2 Corinthians, hold on. 1 Corinthians 6. Okay, verse 9. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Again, don't be deceived. Paul anticipating, and I think the rationale is Paul understands the potential errors people can make by his, teach, his teaching of grace, salvation by grace through faith. He, he anticipates that some people will think that means we can live however we want, what's called antinomianism, lawlessly. He, he's anticipating that error. People understanding, so you mean I just, I believe and I'm saved? Okay, great, let's go party. And so in his letters, he warns, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Let's go to Romans 8. Verse twelve and thirteen. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according not not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. Few did not really goes into the wonderful passage about receiving the Holy Spirit and comfort. But he's like, look, if you're living your life fulfilling the flesh's desires, you're gonna die. And he doesn't mean the sense in which we're all gonna die unless the Lord comes back. He means spiritual death. He talks about widows who are self indulgent are dead while they live in 1 Timothy 5. I mean, there's just passage after passage after passage. So you get Paul insisting not by not by works, not by anything you do or you saved. People who habitually bear thorns are going to hell. Paul also insists. And so we got to, we got to hold on to both of those and, and try to find a way to work them together. And I get there's a tension, but the tension is solved by the fact that if you buy that faith is the cause and is inseparable from what we do, then I think it all synthetically works together. The, only pro- the problem arises if you imagine a faith that doesn't produce works. Um, go, go to Romans 1. Um Romans one verse five, four and 5. five. One five. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith. He's assuming obedience is gonna come if they believe. That I think that's the biblical rationale. Um, I think the biblical rationale is the assumption that what you believe, you'll act upon. Um, what you believe, you'll act upon. And so if you this is why Jesus can say, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Um, or why this is how we know we've come to know him, we keep his commandments. The one who says yeah, know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar in the shoes. Okay, I've just thrown a ton of stuff out. Um I'm sure if you've got more questions, Donna, but I want to open it up to any of you. I have no doubt I've said some challenging or possibly confusing things, and Bridget's here, challenged and confused. It's not on this vein, but oh, well, can we pause? I will get to you. anyone on this vein have anything. I just said a whole bunch of stuff that I think is critically important and I could well have said it poorly or you could be confused or both. So any, any, any questions on what I just said? Cause that's, that's, that's a mouthful. Um, okay. We, this, yeah, this is, this is hugely important. Okay, Bridget, go. Apparently everyone's on, but they're just... Yeah.
3: <laughs> okay. yeah. um, so in regards to like with parenting, as far yeah. as if you have a child who you're fairly certain is not a believer yeah. and they're walking in sin, yeah. obviously there's going to have to be, I'm thinking your own involvement that is mainly trying to get them on... Like they're not necessarily going to be repentant. Like they're not going to choose that. But because yeah. they're living in your house and you're yeah. stewarding them, like yeah, yeah. maybe through... Discipline, I'm thinking. Yeah, yeah. Is what I, no, precisely. Yes. So it's kind of like the example you gave of um, the levels of like, you know, a four or five or six. Like, yeah. you're kind of the one implementing that because yeah. they, of their own accord, are not going to. You,
0: you and Zach are the king of the house and they need to obey. They need to honor you. God is one commandment for kids honor. Well, two, honor and obey, right? And so, and, and the, part of the way I like to frame this is God set up a world of reaping and sowing, and I'm the first gate in my house. But a child who won't learn to honor and, and, and obey their mother and father will then have to face honor and obey the, the, the ruler, Caesar, except he bears a sword, not a paddle, right? And ultimately, this is getting away for honor and obeying God, and he bears hell. <laughs> like he, that's, that's, that's the tool he has. And so at every stage, the stakes get raised, which is one of the reasons why we'll talk about getting house spanked, kids being foolish, like standing on a chair and they fall off. Like, again, this is how God trains you to curb you from folly. Um, And so, yeah, if your child is unregenerate, they're not going to come, they're not going to repent for the glory of God, but God instituted human government to curb evil, even from the wicked, like whether or not you repent because there's a glorious God, we will incentivize you to not kill people. And so you can incentivize your children to, to at least a level of obedience and honoring that, that is fully appropriate. Except every time they're 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 being rebellious, you have a chance to show them their sin, their need of grace. It's a gospel opportunity. But no, it's not as though unbelieving children can just do whatever they want. And so like, I don't know what to say. God's t- this is creation mandate stuff. This is um, like outs- God gave the p- power of the physical government to bear the sword and take life at at the flood. So that that's why it's righteous. It can be righteous for a pagan nation to put someone to death. I'm not saying every time they do it is, but it can be righteous. Can you write for a pagan nation to put people to death if they're putting murderers to death? They don't do it for the right reason because there's a glorious God, but they are fulfilling God's purpose in that whoever sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed. They're, they're upho- they, don't, they unintentionally uphold the honor and dignity of God's image in the victim by putting the murderer to death. So yeah, there's, there's room for discipline and law and correction and punishment apart from... Someone being a believer, certainly.
3: Okay. So basically, um, if you see that they're in a pattern of sin, like you would counsel someone in the church, if they are continuing to struggle with it, like you should be kind of upping, like you are continuing to be deceitful. So we're going to keep upping the discipline, the punishment. Like, I mean but well I'm just thinking like obviously it's one of those things where until God changes their heart yeah. they're just living in their house yeah. and this might be a continual struggle for yes. years, but let, me, years. Let, me,
0: let, me, let me pause especially as it relates to the fundamental commandment God gives children it's one thing it might be different if I noticed my child was a little self-righteous they're honoring and obeying their mother and father but they feel good about it I'm gonna it till they repent like but yeah lying disobeying saying no I mean you go to the Old Testament how severe was it children that ultimately didn't do this you stoned to death and I'm not, I am not saying that's what we do now. <laughs> I am saying the severity of the importance. So no, I've, I've told this to my kids. I've, I've told this to my kids. Um, y- there are two conditions you have to meet to stay in this house. One, you, you have to be doing something productive and useful with your time. You don't have to be getting paid, but you're not going to sit around and play Xbox all day. You're going to be, you're going to be doing something productive and you're going to be honoring your mother and father. And as long as that's taking place, it is my will, my desire to stay here till you get married. But conversely, if you decide in your teens, you know what, I don't know why I should have to listen to you, and this is how I'd frame it, then what you want to do is redefine the parent-child relationship. And I don't have the authority to do that. Like, I can only be a father to Abner, Sophie, Zadik, Eliana, Talitha, Verity, Yael, and Hadassah. (laughs) I was worried there for a second, Simeon. I was worried there for a second. Um, but I did it. I, I can't just... If they say, I don't want you as a father. I just want you as a friend. I can't say, okay. I don't have the authority to do that. So if... if, if imagine someone's in like a Dostoevsky novel and they're all like self-aware. Imagine the child... Well, no, you read Dostoevsky. You read The Brothers Karamazov. Everybody Everybody's self-aware. It's amazing. But imagine... Abner says to me, father... I don't like obeying you and honoring you and I don't see why I should have to, so, um, yeah, I've decided not to do that. Then I'd say, you, you're going to need to change your mind and I'm going to bring, I'm going to implement some things to help do that or eventually you're going to have to leave. What I can't do is tolerate or accept at the end of the day. Now, there's going to be many steps till we get there but eventually, if ultimately you're like, no, I don't want to obey you, like then you're going to need to live somewhere else because I don't have the, I don't Obviously, you're authority. not going to
2: do
3: that
0: to your four-year- old, but. <laughs> No, no, Well, no, but it helps when they're small enough that I can overpower them. Right. right. I mean, uh, there's a sense in which don't, no, I mean, no, you look at like a four-year-old thrashing their arms about, but if that kid doesn't learn some self-discipline self-control, we've seen the damage an 18 year old can do thrashing their arms about. Right. I mean, there's a reason you want, there's a reason you want to work at it early on while they're little. Like I can just physically pick up my twin and put him in the crib. But like, no, you're going to be in your crib. Right. So like, I can just do that. Um, could probably should with Abner, but <laughs> it, might, it might be it might be cl- it might be close, you know. Yeah, but but so no, so yeah. I'd say it's a fundamental command. But but think about it. If they don't learn that from you, then they're gonna have to go learn that from the police officer. Yeah. They're gonna have to go learn that from the boss. The stakes only get raised. Mm-hmm. Like whatever I can do to them is nothing compared to what the law can do. What other people? Yeah, I mean, ultimately they're gonna face God. So yeah. Okay. We're at time. Um, God bless. Godspeed. Good day. Thank you.